All right, this is Dark Days Radio, episode number 111. I'm one of your hosts, Mike, and tonight I'm joined by quite an array of great folks. Of course, we've got James. How's it going, James? Hey, hey, it's uh, it's going good. It's going good. Yeah, really psyched to have you here for a uh, you know a full show. Yeah, it's nice to be uh, nice to be back on. Um, looking forward, to, and it's a it's a big one, isn't it? Oh yeah, we got a lot to cover tonight. But before we get to all that good stuff, we've also got Chig. How's it going, Chig? Going great, Mike. How you doing? Doing awesome. And of course, we've got Doctor Ether himself, Chris. How's it going, Chris? <laughs> Uh, it's good. Hi, Mike. Hi, guys. Yeah, Dr. Ether, how often do we get referred to that? <laughs> I think it's been ages since we referred to ourselves by our online handles on, on this podcast. Um, but yeah, it's all good. I mean, I call Chig Chig all the time. So... Well, yeah, true. Yeah. I am who I am. Indeed. Right. So let's dive into what the um, topic for this episode is, I guess. We're going to be covering... Powered by the Apocalypse. We're going to be talking about the basic system, some of the uh, the plethora of games that have come out for this game system, and also taking more of a deep dive into Cult, Blades in the Dark, and City of Mist. So definitely some really exciting stuff. But before we get to that, let's start off our episode, of course, with a game update. So, uh, James, what kind of gaming have you been doing lately? So uh, lately, I've been playing. I've been playing D anD. I've managed to get my. Uh, I've recently done a big move, so I've got my campaign back together. We're running online, um, but uh, yeah, it's it's not really D anD. d Playing with much of the actual D anD. d rules, they're much more interesting character work and dnd is much more kind of combat uh centered in its rules so i'm looking looking for other other systems to maybe move them towards after this campaign's over cool nice yeah actually i think we might be able to help you out a little bit with this episode so yeah stay tuned i think with that let's just dive into this episode and get into the news So, Chris, I think you've got some pretty big updates from uh, a couple weeks back at this point, but some good stuff. Oh, yeah, there's a lot going on. Okay, so uh, let's go for it. If you haven't listened to it yet, uh, go back to episode uh, 109. That is the UK Games Expo live show with special guests. We had Matthew Dawkins, uh, we had Clara Herbal, we had Eddie Webb. And we had, so they're representing, you know, Onyx Path and in some respects White Wolf uh, for, and also Helmgast for things they were writing on. Uh, we also had uh, Matt Tim from Modifius. So we were talking really about uh, Vampire 5th Edition. Uh, we were talking also about Chronicles of Darkness games, Contagion Chronicle that was run at UK Games Expo. Uh, and also talking a little bit about Cult and uh, what was it? Game like? uh, Trinity uh trinity aeon you know all the trinity systems that are coming out because that's a story path system so yeah that was a really good live show um you know uh it was good to do it was nice to be hosted by uk games that's both for that uh james you also did some interviews with people representing a number of companies that formed the uk indie rpg league so that's episode 110 and that's companies like ufo press black armada and rowan rook and Card. Uh, I think the game that comes to mind that people mostly know uh, quite well, if they're listening to this, is Spire, which is a fantasy RPG with this big tower and there's some kind of magic techno kind of elements to it. 
Um, so that was really good for James. Get yeah, thank you, James, for taking those interviews for us. Oh, it was um, all good. It was all good. It was nice to uh, to get a chance to run around and talk to people and see. I mean, they had such a lot of stuff on display. Um, yeah, the two days we I don't think we managed to cover all of the stuff that we could. Yeah. Have. Two days is not enough. Obviously, thank you to uh, On Tabletop. So Beast of War is now officially known as On Tabletop. They were the again doing press coverage, uh, video coverage, live streaming for UK Games Expo, and we got to jump on their their live stream as always to chat about uh, Colt and V5 because I was running V5 demos for Modifius. Um, speaking of V5, uh, we recently recently there's been the uh, the Origins Award at Gamma. Is that right? Is that Gamma? Yeah. No, that's at Origins. Oh, it's at Origins. Oh, I get so confused. So many different things. Anyway, so uh, V5 won the best role-playing game of 2019, uh, beating, beating Monty Cook's Invisible Sun, Modifius Star Trek, and Mutants and Mass Minds. Did it not also win the... It won the Judges Award, and it also won the Fan Choice Award. Am I not right about that? You are correct. It also won Player's Choice. That's the one. So that's really good. Um, and then carrying on with our other things coming out from uh, Expo, uh, I've got a through a review copy of uh, Conquest by Parabellum. Parabellum are a, I believe, a Greek company. Maybe Cypriot. I can't. I think it's Greek. Anyway, they're they're um, producing a thirty-five millimeter uh, war game, fantasy style, kind of like Warhammer Fantasy classic style. Um, and the miniatures are brilliant, chunky, lots of good details. So I've got to glue all that together and get it painted up. That's why I've now got the um, contrast paints from GW that have been recently uh, released. So stay tuned to our Instagram and so forth. And I've done a video which shows using them. So yeah, you can have a look at that. Uh, Mike, you've also had through a review copy, thanks to uh, someone we met at uh, UK Games. That's where you've got a copy of something called Farsight. Yeah, that's right. Farsight's this uh, really rad uh, post-apocalyptic mecha board game with some really interesting rules that set it apart from things like Battletech and uh, Heavy Gear and the like. So I'm really psyched to uh, dive into that a little bit further. We're going to have a bunch of content about it on the blog uh, going awesome. through and doing. Yeah, we're going to do an unboxing. already got the photos for that. A painting tutorial and also just a game review in general once I've played it. So definitely some cool stuff. So check it out over on the blog. Right. And then also other content out. Um, well, out by the time you listen to this, it will be updated. Ashes of Memory is out on Drive Through RPG. So Ashes of Memory is a scenario for Geist the Sin Eaters, written by myself and Mike, and with some additional content by Sam, uh, and play tested at UK Games Expo as part of Contagion Chronicle. Uh, it is set in Paris. Uh, it has full characters for a Geist crew. Uh and you will have rules there for both edition one and edition two. So you'll have character sheets uh, valid for pre-generated characters, and it is playable for both. Uh, that is also part of a full bundle that includes also um, Venice Unmasked and The Hunger Within, which we've previously released. Uh, so yeah, I think everyone, most feedback I've had already from people that have seen early versions of it has been positive, and then players enjoyed it. Um, and then also things are planning for Gen Con. So Gen Con's coming up and I am in the works of just finalizing dates of when we're running a uh, V5 demo at Fanboy 3 for Gen Con because Gen Con is running satellite events. So these are taking place away from 
the Gen Con main event. There are two happening outside of the US. Those two are happening in the UK, one of which at Fanboy 3 in Manchester. So I am going to run a V5 uh, one-shot called the Araman contract, which follows on from the previous two that we've done. Uh, and then also I'm going to do some Wrath and Glory on another day there as well. But Chig, you're going to be at Gen Con. I am, in fact, going to be at Gen Con again this year. Um, Excellent. Feel, feel free to track me down, say hello, and tell me all about your characters. I love to meet people. Is there anything in particular at Gen Con you're going to attend? I, I don't know what the lineup is for Gen Con, obviously. Uh, they are still adding events, um, but I do have a couple of uh, podcast events that I'll be attending. Not, not this podcast. We sadly do not have an official presence at the at the convention this year but uh there there are a couple of uh recordings that i'll be attending if you're interested just send us a line i'll let you i'll send you my schedule and then mike we've got a important announcement yeah we definitely do so darker days has been growing like crazy on the past six months in 2019 uh we've got like numerous new writing projects product reviews and requests for interviews and a lot of requests for actual plays so as such, you know, we're kind of putting out an all call to look for new and uh, diverse voices uh, to add to the show. So if you're excited and passionate about horror, cyberpunk, post-apocalyptic gaming, uh, just drop us a line on social media or Discord and uh, we'll figure out a way that we can work with you. Excellent. Uh, and then just to round out, I think if people obviously listen to Darker Days um, and related to what we'll be talking about today... Uh, please pop over to Full Metal RPG because they have been doing some excellent episodes recently with the, with the guys um, interviewing the guys behind Cult, which is one of the things we'll be talking about today. Uh, and um, and also uh, go check out the guys at the Effect Podcast. Uh, they they team up a lot with the guys at Free League, who obviously have announced recently the Alien RPG, which they were doing demos of at UK Games Expo. And James, you're working on a one-shot for us that is based on, which is for Tales from the Loop. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I've uh, I've been making some notes. Um, I've, I've kind of got it. All, I, well, I've got what I want to happen. Uh, I'm making sure there's a kind of timeline to it so I can make sure it all kind of kicks off and yeah once i'm pulling up the uh the loose threads i'm uh i'll hopefully be able to get us to play it on the show great that's really cool that'll be good to play it because obviously there's also released things from the flood yeah yeah that sounds which is the uh, 90s teenager one right i think that's it on news uh really quickly uh did i miss anything no, I think you got it all. Definitely some great stuff. And uh, with that, let's move on over to Powered by the Apocalypse. All right, so Powered by the Apocalypse. What is it? Or why is it so popular? So I'm going to give my first insight into it. And like when I picked up City of Mist back in at UK Games Expo 2018, I found it quite jargon heavy at least i i found it jargon heavy and quite impenetrable because it's quite a different rpg experience and system because there's a lot of free form to it if that makes sense with the how keywords are chosen and 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 so forth for your powers and i, I really only really got my head around it when i started reading cult of all books uh which got sent through as a review copy which i'm going to run in my home game um so 
correct me if I'm wrong on this, and I think, Chig, you've mostly got a lot more experience given that you've been playing uh, Blades in the Darkness. Is that right? Blades in the Dark. That is correct. In the dark, right. So, Powered by the Apocalypse relies on dice rolls by the players. The, the Games Master, the MC, whatever you want to call them, isn't the one rolling the dice. They're just setting the scene and, and telling you what type of move you have to do. I use the word move because move is basically pretty much everything you're going to do in the game. And a move is an action, like, such as, I'm going to use the, the t ideas from Colt, which are going to be like doing harm to someone or uh, escaping harm or investigating. But moves can be other things that aren't, don't involve physical action. So a move might be to persuade someone, to seduce someone, uh, to pierce the veil and see the reality beyond it. Uh, and then what operates on top of those are going to be keywords from effects and powers and abilities uh, to shift um, your dice roll. Um, so I feel that a lot of things that we do often in RPGs, when you, when you play a game, when you role play, I think often maybe sometimes taken for granted. And I think uh, Power by, by the Apocalypse really... Um, codifies it even the small things everything is a move whereas in like DD, often the focus is really a lot on the combat actions and there isn't much about how to structure the non-combat aspects whether you got whether you guys agree with me on that it's another thing entirely so i don't know chick what's your your mind on that i don't think anybody can disagree with you that uh dungeons and dragons is primarily a combat simulator <laughs> yeah did I miss anything in there with Powered by the Apocalypse? No, that's uh, that's really the uh, the basis of it. It has a real simple, generally speaking, uh, real simple system resolution mm -hmm. uh, where you roll 2d6 for most games and you add or subtract your ability score or whatever it happens to be called in that particular game. Um, if you roll a 10 or higher after modifiers, hey, congratulations, that was a full success. Go you, there's no negative repercussions. Um, if you get a seven to nine, uh, well, that's a limited success. So you did it, but there's some complication or trouble arises. So if you're trying to uh, haggle with a merchant and you roll an eight, well, he'll meet you halfway, but you're not gonna get you know the full discount that you were looking for. Hmm. Or if you're swinging your sword at a goblin and you roll a nine, well, you hit the goblin, but he, you also left yourself open so for counterattack, so you took a little damage yourself. Yeah, so stuff like that. If you roll six or less on your 2d6, well, that's just a flat-out failure. So something bad happens. But on the plus side, you know, if, if you fail a roll, you get experience points out of it, so your skill can improve. Uh, Mike, you've you've played a bit of City of Mist, haven't you, as well? So, um, do you want to chime in with anything else system-wise? Um, I mean, we'll talk about uh, more system specifics about uh, City of Mist later yeah. on in the episode. Um, but I would like to point out that uh, City of Mist is actually, as I understand it, very different than the basic Power by the Apocalypse system that uh, mm. Vincent Baker originally came out with. And has a lot more uh, story-driven elements, a lot more keywords, as uh, Chris mentioned, and has a lot of inspiration actually from fate. So that'll become more apparent as we kind of go through the basic system here and uh, uh, talk about some of the other games and how City of Mist, therefore, is kind of different than them, which is uh, pretty cool and exciting. 
and so moves, as we said, are like moves uh, are actions that you do in the game, but they can also uh, be special abilities because you also get things called playbooks, which represent character classes or I say character class or character archetype or, or, or some such, which gives you more moves that you can do. Um, so that's kind of equivalent, like a move would be to use, I don't know, dominate, for example, or, or some other power that you would normally think in. World of Darkness terms or Chronicles of Darkness, but I guess it's it's just a lot simpler because often the way the dice system works is that you've you've got your two d six and then you check the keywords that are applicable to your your action, and that gives you a further plus one to your to the final dice pool result. So you've got two d six plus x, where x is any positive modifiers, and then the minus modifiers will come from say status effects like you're drowsy or you've been electrocuted or there's or there's a um an environmental effect like rain like heavy rain stops you from being able to hit the target um i think that covers really how simple the system is it's not trying to do it's not trying to be rocket science it's not trying to be like roll 2d6 and then to hit and then you've got to roll a further d10 to do damage and then something else it's not like multiple bits of you know, loads of dice rolling around. And I think the interesting thing, Chick, what you said about the limited success is that, as we said, because players are rolling for everything, then it means often in some things you've got built in the effect of the opponent. So when you attack, you will you're also in effect rolling for whether you get attacked back. Right. So it's it's all a lot more compressed. Is that a good way to to say? Uh, yeah, absolutely. That uh, that's one of my my favorite parts about running the system is I don't have to bring my dice. <laughs> yeah, right. So so yeah. Um, is there anything else we should add? I mean, I mean, James, you've you've like not played it, but you've been listening to Monster of the Week. Um, do they go into the into the system much more than that? They do talk about the roles that they're making, and they do their character development on. Uh, on the podcast as well. Um, I should probably say which podcast it is I'm listening to. I'm listening to the Adventure Zone, and their current yeah. uh, the current arc is set in uh, Monster of the Week, and it's been really interesting actually. Like, there's a uh, combat is a lot a lot more streamlined, and yeah. Uh, I mean, I think in that one, your fighting role is a kick some ass role. Yeah, and. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, okay, no, I, I can dig that because, I mean, compared to my D and D games, you know, we get into a combat and my play and the group takes like an hour fighting a thing, and none of them, none of them are really into it, but it just takes so much time. Whereas, a a scuffle or a fight seems to develop a lot quicker, um, yeah, and it just keeps kind of the narrative flow going a little bit more. You don't have like, this session is going to be a boss battle and that's it. Hmm. Um. Cool. Okay. As Mike said, there's a lot of games that cover that are, that actually use Powered by the Apocalypse. So um, who wants to go down the list? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, there's just so so many games. Um, it's a very versatile uh, engine. Uh, so we should probably start at the beginning with Apocalypse World, which is why all these games are called Powered by the Apocalypse. Uh, that's the original. It is. If you think of Mad Max or Fallout or insert your favorite post-apocalypse setting here, this is the the system you can use to run it. Even Gamma World, 
mm. if you wanted to run Gamma World and not have to deal with uh, the latest D20 version or any of the other uh, TSR versions. Um, so in Gam- in Apocalypse World, uh, you play a survivor of the the default setting is nuclear holocaust, but you know it can be a magical apocalypse, it can be particle accelerator apocalypse, whatever. Um, you roam the land, you uh, search for things that will help you survive. You fight off the crazy biker gangs, um, but the the real adventure is the friends that you make along the way. Hmm. Because really, uh, powered by the apocalypse games, including Apocalypse World, are not by default resource management games like D and D type clones tend to be, where you keep track of every arrow that you have. They're much more heavily focused on interactions between the PCs and uh, the NPCs that you meet. I think that's really important because also a lot of the story is really generated by the players. Uh, uh, the narrative is genera- generated by the players. So it's it's very collaborative storytelling um, from what I'm aware of rather than, you know, detailed, you know, scenarios and, and so forth by the, um, the, by the GM or so forth. Absolutely. Okay. And that's not to say that you can't go, you know, purchase a, a Dungeons and Dragons adventure path or whatever they are called these days and uh, run it through Dungeon World. It just take a bit of, uh, you know, bit of modification to get the, the system down. But uh, it's not really designed for that. Yeah. Can be done, but not, not where, it, where it excels. Okay, so then pushing on through it, we've got the Sprawl. So this is a cyberpunk um, setting using the same system. Uh, does that add any bells and whistles, any weird bells and whistles, or is it very much trad, powered by the apocalypse? Um, it's mostly traditional, powered by the apocalypse. Um, I included it because I like cyberpunk games, and I know that uh, Mike does as well. Yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, you play cyber runners who are trying to take down the large corporations that uh, dominate the world that you live in. Um, and they just this week, at the time of this recording, uh, released a, a fantasy plugin for the game. So if you want to uh, do some shadowy running, as mm. it were, uh, you can you can go ahead and add that in. Cool. Uh, and then there's, as I said, there's a lot more. So we've already mentioned uh, Monster of the Week. So James, Monster of the Week, what's that about, basically? Um, it, it follows the kind of format of a lot of those Monster of the Week shows. So we're talking like Buffy, Supernatural, Grimm, and it's it's set up for kind of investigating your... Uh, one of the characters um, in the campaign that I've been listening to, actually, is a character class which is... They're, they're basically just a human. They don't really have anything special, but some of their uh, their playbook gives them advantages on, like, if you go somewhere alone that is dangerous and puts you at risk, you're going to get XP for it. So oh, it actually cool. kind of pushes you to play into that role. Um, and it just... Uh, it's It feels like something that's quite good to pick up and kind of do some, like, episodes of. Yeah. Um, Okay, cool. And then we've also got Monster Hearts, which is uh, <laughs> the show notes say World of Darkness, but sexier. Uh, who wrote that? Yeah. <laughs> I think I that, mean, was that could have been anybody. That could have been anybody. <laughs> <laughs> it is. That's not a joke. It is 
much more relationship and uh, potentially, if you want it to be sexually focused than many other World of Darkness games, but still uh, still covers, you know, a lot of different supernatural romance kind of tropes. Yeah. Uh, and it's gotten a lot of awards. I haven't read it personally. Uh, I don't know, Chig, have you checked it out further? I have read it, yeah. Um, it includes uh, something called sex moves, which are exactly what they sound like. So in addition to your regular, you know, bop him over the head or have a conversation with him, you can go ahead and try to uh, seduce the uh, mortal that you're talking to or the elder vampire or whatever, you know, floats your boat. Fine. <laughs> it's uh, it's very much uh, like like uh, Mike was saying, it's, it's very much a uh, supernatural romance kind of game. Yeah, so, so Vampire Diaries and you know twilight-esque all those classic things true blood and, uh, more true blood uh what's the other one more hbo say? than cw <laughs> yeah uh what was the one um what's what's the name she's a monster slayer i looked to sam she most good thing. anita, anita blake. blake anita blake <laughs> jinx damn it <laughs> there we go at some point i'm sure i'm gonna have to go into the local waterstone to go through all the uh the the paranormal fantasy novels and we're just gonna have to like Paranormal romance. We're just going to have to take like you know photos of all the back covers and see how many of these can we turn into an episode for something. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Anyway, um, right. So what else we've got? Dungeon World. I've heard of. So that's dungeon crawling using Powered by the Apocalypse. I believe it's pretty close to Powered by the Apocalypse and has some. Mostly has moves that basically better replicate the fantasy elements of the game. So I guess magic and so forth. Is that right? Yeah. Um, this was actually the first uh powered by the apocalypse uh, powered by the apocalypse game that i played um it is what it says on the tin it's it's dungeon crawling but better so uh if you're looking to uh, replace your your dungeons and dragons game this is my recommendation and again because it's it's less it's it's i guess because it's it's less um granular in the sense of you know dnd is very granular as in you've got rooms the room is so large it's filled with so many enemies and the enemies have so many hit points and so forth Dun- dungeon world and the Apoc- power by the apocalypse kind of simplifies how you represent threats and so forth and makes it a lot more fast-paced cool absolutely and uh one thing that i like about it uh this is just me because i'm, I'm not a, a gear guy like a lot of mm-hmm. players tend to be um if you're playing for instance the fighter if you have yeah. a dagger, if you have a maul, if you have a giant two-handed bastard sword, whatever your, your equipment is, you do the same amount of damage. It's always yes. a D12. Cool. So I like that. Um, and then we have got masks. So uh, <laughs> basically superheroes. I mean, technically, you are playing a superheroic individual, but it's not so much, you know, let's go out <clears throat> let's go out and, and beat up the Joker because we're Batman. It's more like uh, I'm Robin and you are Beast Boy and we are, you know, the uh, the Teen Titans and mm. we have to deal with our parents and we have to deal yeah. with supervillains and we have to deal with, you know, it's a coming of age story. So in that respect, then, it's a good if you've watched on Netflix or whatever, um, uh, the Titans series most recently, which is Teen Titans, but you know, let's just say young adult Teen Titans, as in because it's a bit more brutal violence in there rather than the comic, the the very colorful cartoon that's more aimed at kids younger than ten. Um, 
yeah, that might be a good fit. Okay. And then yeah. the last one we've got on our list is No Country for Old Kobolds, so more dungeon crawling? You'd think, since it's since you play kobolds, that it would be you know a straight-up dungeon crawl kind of thing, except for in reverse. And it does present itself that way, but it's actually a community builder. Oh. Where rather than playing John the Cobbled and Jane the Cobbled, you play the Cobbled tribe. And over generations, how you improve your Warren and how you are def- are attacked by wandering adventurers who want to kill you and your family and how you recover from that. It's a really interesting game. Right. I think that covers all of the... You know, gives us an overview of... And there's, um, there's loads more, obviously, you know, variants out there, flavors you know, pick your, you can easily make your own as well. But we're going to zoom in on a few uh, that we that have taken our fancy, that we've either played or we're about to run or something like that. So we're going to talk about what Cult, 4th edition, as it's known, or Cult uh, Divinity Lost. Uh, we've got Blades in the Dark, and we then will finish off with uh, City of Mist. Okay. Uh, so what is cult? Cult is, I would say, is a I would describe as a Gnostic occult RPG. You are pe- playing people that are aware that reality is a lie. So if that sounds familiar to mage players, then this is this is good for you. Okay. Um, so yes, reality is a lie. Reality was created by the Demiurge. Uh, he, you, he used the Archons as his servants and their angels to. Uh, to strip humanity of their divine right over over altering reality and caged us in 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 a in reality, locked us away from heaven and other realms. Uh, there are dark reflections of the of the archons called the Death Angels. Uh, it's very much tied in with the ideas of the Kabbalah and the uh, the Tree of Life and the Sephiroth and the Klepot, uh, the Klepot. Uh and of course, the demiurge has been missing for some time, and you are playing as a people aware of the lie. You can, you know, you know magic maybe, or you're aware of the entities that lurk in the darkness. There are other strange realm, realms to uh, to to explore. Our world is called Elysium, effectively. Uh, there is the realm of heaven called Metropolis, which is kind of machine-like. Uh, then there is the Inferno. Uh, where the death angels are from. There's the underworld where things go to decay and are forgotten about. There is a limbo, there is Gaia, there are dream realms. And there are many strange antagonists to face, such as the Lictors, who are mortals who become servants of the Archons. Uh, there are fallen angels that have fled Metropolis. There are various strange cults and other weird creatures. Uh, put simply, and this was said on the live show, uh, Matthew Dawkins totally agrees. It's Hellraiser the RPG, which, you know, to me, and I look at Sam right now, we go, Hellraiser the RPG. Hell yeah, we'll play that. Uh, we love Hellraiser, uh, at least the first two films anyway. So uh, what else can we say? Um, things like science, technology, magic, drugs, all those things are what unlocks the human mind and potential to pierce the shell and claim back power. Uh, it's not a 2D6 system, though. It is a 2D10 system. And the reasoning for this, and why I say go over to Full Metal RPG and listen to their interview with uh, one of the creators of Cult 4th Edition, is that the 2D10 uh, gives you that extra level of, of granularity which is required to represent the 
the the power levels that are available in cults because cults you can play as people that are only just barely aware that something's wrong with the world then you can play the main type of characters which are called awakened or i think it's awakened they're or but they're they're aware that reality is wrong and then there's the higher level characters called uh, the enlightened who obviously have a better better grip that reality is a lie and can exploit it with various magical abilities yeah that was always the uh, really cool thing about uh, the first editions of cults was that you start off just as a regular person but as your character uh discovers more and more they slowly begin to change and their increase in power level could take them more towards the archons or more towards becoming uh one of the uh the lictors yeah uh, as well so um yes so the simple the system is still the same it's you know TD10 plus relevant attributes plus further modifiers from keyword traits or weapons. Uh, there are maybe particular moves unlocked by your abilities. There are in the game 20 plus templates that you can play. So these are kind of similar to playbooks. They tell you how to build a character along search, along the archetype it is. So there's an archetype like the Avenger. There's an archetype like, um, I just say, flicking through the book, the scientist. And again, they're, they're archetypes. So being an Avenger means you could actually be any... You, you, your archetype isn't your career. So likewise, scientist does not mean your career is you are a scientist working for... I'll pluck a pharmacy company on my head, AstraZeneca. You're not that type of scientist. You could easily be a scientist that's very much kind of uh, a bit punky in how they do things. You know, they, they get resources from the dump from they recycle things and so forth or you know they operate off the grid because their their ideas are too crazy and archetypes come with a few things when you build characters they come with dark secrets a very core element of of cult so dark secrets could be things that like you have forbidden knowledge mental illness you've returned from the other side whatever that is so these are things which you know, can suggest more about your character and give you... And the way to think about Dark dark Secrets, and again, this is great listening to the full Metal RPG inter, uh, interview, Dark Secrets create new moves that the GM can uh, initiate. So the player has to roll. So they're like the reverse moves because you have a move like, say, you have to undergo stress due to seeing visions or you're haunted by something. Uh, they're then also related to this and similar to Dark Secrets are disadvantages and advantages, which again uh, are powered off certain traits uh, or that may well be powered off traits and give you, again, new moves. So, for example, battlefield medicine or scientist or genius and so forth. And that's really it. And then you've got relations that operate on top of it. So relations, again, have ratings that you use for your moves, so how you talk with people. Uh, and then the the other thing which I think is mostly the most important to cult, and I go to the character sheet, and I love the character sheet because it, it ha you have 10 attributes and they're listed uh, in the same way as the Holy Sephiroth, uh, the Tree of Life. Uh, the other thing you've got related to that is stability. So you've got wounds, simple enough, you've got a few ranks there. Stability is basically um, is integrity score from Worlds of Darkness. So it's a it's a it's a question of how me, how how much is your mind being shattered by the things they see until they are at a point where they are so unhinged, but in that level of being unhinged and thinking the world is falling apart around them, they can actually perceive the lie as they see 
that reality is not what they thought it was. In that respect, it's kind of similar to playing Changeling, the Lost Second Edition. Yeah, that's... I think I've covered everything in Cult. There we go. <laughs> There's obviously a lot more. Yeah, yeah, everything on the surface. Um, yeah, Cult is definitely a really interesting game, and uh, long-time listeners of Darker Days might remember that uh, Mark, way back in the day, actually reviewed the Jail of Night series from uh, White Wolf Magazine. Uh, which was this old kind of crossover that they did between both Cult and World of Darkness. And they then extrapolated for how you could use the uh, ideas also in Chronicles of Darkness. Um, so there's a lot of interplay that you can use between World of Darkness material, Chronicles of Darkness, and Cult. And uh, yeah, they just they play together really, really nicely. Um, yeah, and I'm currently, I've got to finish reading through uh, one of the example scenarios. So there's there's a load of example scenarios. It's about five, I think, you can download for free on um, Drive-Thru RPG. Uh, and one of them that's really taken my interest uh, is called uh, The Atrocity Exhibit, um, which is really great because it takes place in a, um, in a art you know, museum exhibition center. And the reason I've gone with that and why it was really interesting, having read read some of it before I went <laughs> went for a job interview in in California, yeah, in the San Francisco Bay Area, I had a day off and I went to the Museum of Chinese, the Museum of Chinese, no, not Chinese art, Museum of Asian Art, and walking around that because it's actually like inside a very um, faux neoclassical building, uh, which is quite quite common for like San Francisco, like. Um, hub near the uh, city town uh, city hall but the inside of it is very modern and i was like this is perfect i i now can envision what i'm going to run so i'm going to run that once i've done my 40k rpg uh dark tide scenarios over um but there's tons of obviously they've rewritten the classic scenario of the black madonna which uh black uh which red moon rpg has has played through so you can listen to that actual play uh there's also a tarot deck you can buy i think i need to buy um i really need a sexy tarot deck and that'll be it uh, mm-hmm. and there's also a soundtrack you can download um so i will also need to get hold of that and that's all i think we're going to say because i think um i think there's a lot in there to to really dive into and i think one of the things they were saying in the full metal rpg interview is that cult while you could play campaigns i think is really well set up for playing short series of kind of either a one shot or 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 a short series that's kind of like you could imagine as like a series of movies um not like you know a campaign where you go on and on and on like you would do with your say vampire chronicle or something right let's talk about blades in the dark then i've recently just a couple weeks ago wrapped up my uh blades in the dark campaign uh as far as I can tell, my players really enjoyed it, but uh, we've moved on. So Blades in the Dark, uh, which is uh, published by Evil Hat, uh, is a, a game that pushes the Powered by the Apocalypse engine so hard in so many different directions that it's basically its own thing now. Uh, so it is you can buy products that are now forged in the dark. Uh like a Band of Blades and Mutants in the Night. But we're gonna concentrate on the original. Blades in the Dark. Uh, You can still see uh, how it grew out of Powered by the Apocalypse, um, but some of the fundamentals that I mentioned earlier have gone by the wayside. Uh, The the 2d6 plus attribute, uh, that's no longer a thing. Uh, It has its own entire system where you have 
there are 12 abilities or 12 uh, attributes that you have, each rated one through five. So however many dots in those attributes you have is however many D6s you roll. Uh, oh. Our listeners might be familiar with a similar system that uses D10. Maybe. Oh, so it's it's so hold on. Let's just pause there for a minute. So rather yeah. than being a two D six plus attribute system, mm-hmm. it's a it's a core two D six plus X where X is the attribute. No, no, it's it's X D six where it's X D six where X is the attribute. Yes. Okay. So and then rather than add them together to get your result, because that would be very swingy. Yes. Uh, you take the highest die that you rolled. So if you roll five six-sided dice and they all come up one, bad news for you, son. Okay, so it's not even a dice pool success system like World of Darkness or Wrath and Glory, because Wrath and Glory is a dice pool system where you are looking for fours or higher, where sixes give you an exceptional success, much like in V5, where you roll a, a 10. This is the highest result from the pool. The highest yeah. result from the pool. However, That's cool. Okay. If you happen to roll two sixes in your dice, then that is a critical success. So okay. you get some. You get a bonus to whatever action you're doing. Trying to pick someone's pocket, you get everything in there, and also uh, the guy next to you, the guy next to him, uh, who was watching you, looks away at a critical moment. So you get okay, a bonus. Cool. Um, immediately. It could have they could have gone somewhere really dark, somewhere very bad with a dice pool system doing weird things because obviously we know what Cthulhu tech's like. So um... <laughs> <laughs> they did not quite go that dark. Yeah, they didn't go that bad with swingy systems or systems that can't roll certain successes. Okay, um, okay, that's a cool system. So, and just to f- to finish off, so you roll you roll your dice pool, take the highest result, mm-hmm. and then what are you looking for to score? What's where so they're, they're still six-sided dice, so a six is a full success, just like okay. earlier. So if you roll a six, congratulations, you did the thing. Right, uh, okay. If you roll a four or a five, that's a partial success. So you did ah. the thing, but there's a complication. Again, if you're, if you're trying to stab someone in the back, they might notice at the last minute, turn around and give you the back of their hand. You still, you still hit them, but it's not as, uh, as immediately taking them out. Uh, and a one to three is just a flat-out failure. Okay. And so then, in this game, you have a 50-50 chance of success and a 1 in 6 chance of it being an unmitigated success. So then modifiers in this system add or, res- or subtract to the dice pool, not the There result. are no modifiers in this oh, system. Oh, okay. There are, but it's up to the, the person running the game and it will limit or enhance the, uh, the degree of success. So, okay. So you're trying to sneak across a, a moonlit courtyard. Okay. Um, it's a big courtyard. It's going to take two rolls to get all the way across it. But hey, you rolled you rolled your, your sneak roll and you got two sixes. Well, hey, that's a critical success. You make it all the way across stealthily. No one notices you and it doesn't take you two rounds. It sounds cool because it means it. It sounds like a system that rewards comp- that characters who are meant to be competent things do. It those really things. does. And the default is your characters know what they're doing. You don't start out as you know a level one crap farmer like in some games. Oh, hello, Warhammer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not to okay. name. Cool. Okay, hey, I like those games. 
I like those games. Warhammer has its time and a place, though. We know that. <laughs> they have a time and a place, and, and this is not it. James knows what Warhammer's like with a time and a place. <laughs> oh man, yeah, that I was I was so sure I was gonna punch that guy and then he just stabbed me straight up. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Anyway, let's carry on with the setting. Because the, is there a particular setting for the game then? There is a a particular setting. Uh it is a dark urban fantasy set in the city of Duskwall or Duskval. Um, it is one of the last cities standing on in the known world after a uh, magical apocalypse that occurred a thousand years ago. Uh, specifically, that magical apocalypse is, well, someone, and it's never made quite clear, uh, tore down the wall between the world of the living and the world of the dead. So now ghosts walk the earth. They're hungry for the life force of the living. Uh, the sun was blotted out. Uh, or perhaps destroyed. No one's actually seen the sun in a thousand years. Uh, the seas are inky blackness and full of leviathans, which are huge demons that prey on any ship foolish enough to ply the waves. And Also, uh, their blood, leviathan blood, is the basis of the technology that keeps the ghosts out of the city. Hmm. Oh, dang. Yeah, it's... Uh, it's I don't want to call it steampunk because that's kind of, you know, lame in my opinion. <laughs> but uh it's it's very uh Sons of Ether techno magic fueled by uh demon blood. Yeah. Uh, it 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 feels more like what I would call is it's, it's it has more in similar to Iron Kingdoms in that it's 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 magitech. I wouldn't call yes, it steampunk. I I, I, I fuck more than steampunk. Absolutely. I, hate, I hate fucking steampunk anyway. Anyway, less about that. Uh, let's carry on. <laughs> so, so what do you do in this game? Well, you're a criminal, and so are all of your friends. Uh, what kind of criminal are you? Well, there are playbooks for all kinds of criminals. Uh, everything from uh, the mastermind from Nate from Le uh, Leverage type of character uh, to the exceptionally skilled thief to a ghost-speaking magic user type who uh, uses ghosts in his heists and uh, can shoot lightning bolts at, higher, at uh, greater experience. Uh, since you're a criminal, you, by, def by definition, you do some crimes. What kind of crimes do you do? Well, there are six different uh, types of crew that you can play, from assassins to just, you know, gang of thugs to people who sell forbidden items, be it drugs or magical artifacts or what have you, uh, to, you know, simple thieves. The group that I ran was a group of shadows. Uh, those are the thieves. To smugglers who move the aforementioned illegal wares around the city. Each different type of crew gets its own type of playbook that gives your group bonuses to things that that type of crew would do so if you're playing a uh, group of shadows like again my group was uh, they get a bonus to you know just stealing things the skills that allow you to break in and pick locks and pickpockets kind of things so basically the setting is you're a, a small gang trapped in a city protected by a lightning barrier that keeps the ghosts at bay uh, which is powered by the blood of tremendous demons that haunt the sea so what you do is you go out there, you make a name for yourself. That's Blades in the Dark in a nutshell. Nice. I like it. 
Now there are, as I mentioned earlier, several mechanical differences that, and I want to I want to cover two that I, I really like. This isn't really a, a combat focused game unless you're playing the uh, the thugs or the bravos, and even then, you don't want to get into too many fights because you're 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 fairly fragile characters. But what you do to avoid taking physical damage or to do all kinds of things in this game is you take stress. This is the pressure of the job grinding you down, getting to you. You just you, you feel yourself, you're pushing yourself to your limit and beyond. And so you take stress. If you get too much stress, you get stressed out. And then you have a trauma which changes your character's personality permanently. Um, to relieve stress uh, between jobs, you have to go indulge your vice, which is a, a, a system that is just incredibly flavorful and thematic for playing a group of criminals. So maybe your your vice is you go out and you gamble, you lose all the money that you made on this last uh, heist that you were on. Uh, maybe you go to the fighting pits and just get the snot knocked out of you because you know you you can you can't live with yourself any other way. You did a bad thing and you know it, so you have to. You feel like you need to be punished for that. Um, so yeah, stress and vices is a, a fantastic system. And finally, one thing that I'm probably going to steal for every game that I run from now on is a, a something called a progress clock or clocks in general. So if you want to do something that's going to take a while, whether that be heal up from you know getting stabbed in the side on your last mission or build yourself a, a nifty little hideout out in the Deadlands, something that's going to take a while, uh, you start a clock. And it's a real simple thing. It's a circle that you draw, and then you cut it into so however many pieces you think it's going to take to complete it. And during your downtime between uh, heists or between scores, you say, hey, I'm going to work on my, my, my downtime project. And you roll whatever skill is relevant. And depending on how well you roll, you fill up a little slice of that, of that uh, clock. It's like a pizza getting eaten. And when the clock is full, whatever you're working on, you've completed it. So let's say you got stabbed. Okay, well, a healing clock, that's four slices. So you're going to go see a doctor. So you roll X number of dice. And depending on what you roll, you fill up that clock a little bit or a lot. And once that clock is full, you're over getting beaten up. That's really that's, neat. That's a great system. It really is. And everything in the game is clocks. You have mm. a clock. Your group has a clock. The other thieving groups and underworld groups and the law enforcement in the city, they all have clocks and they're all trying to get their own goals. And, some, and usually... The goals are in opposition to one another. So you want to be the the head thieves in this in this particular neighborhood, but there's already two other thieves guilds in that neighborhood. So you're each trying to fill up your, you know, we're the best group in this neighborhood clock. And let's say that you know you have a heist and you do really poorly. Well, word gets out, the police are breathing down your neck, so the pressure's off the other group in the neighborhood so their clock goes up and your clock goes down oh so you can regress clocks mm. you can and it is super fun it's also super fun if you don't tell uh, the players what all the clocks are <laughs> mm. oh, yeah, so you know 
they're hired by this guy to go steal that thing. Well, in stealing that thing, they've, you know, moved forward the tear down the the lightning barrier that protects the city clock by that much more. This is really cool because the idea of clocks goes back to the thing we've said about campaign calendars for how you manage what your your world is doing as the players do things. So if they if the players don't interact with certain things, a clock is going to progress at the rate it should do. But if they start interacting with it certain ways, the clock will either slow down or speed up because of what they've done. Like, you know, if you kill a certain NPC, you might slow down one clock, but another clock has suddenly sped up because that another NPC now you've you've just removed his antag you've removed his his um the impediment to his plan yeah yeah exactly. exactly his rivals so wow that's no that's that's cool that's a good thing to add in I like that good yeah it's it's an amazing system I'm definitely stealing it moving forward. oh I'm stealing that for forty k don't worry um, <laughs> <laughs> excellent that's it's really good for inqui I can see that working for like inquisitorial investigations um brilliant yeah. Uh, was there anything else that's specific to Blades that it adds? Uh, there's a lot of things that it changes and modifies, but to keep it brief, to keep it keep yeah. it here, we're just going to go ahead and, and cover those two main things. Okay. It doesn't sound like huge amounts of changes, though. I mean, it it's, still seems... It's really not that big a change, and like I, like I said before, you can definitely see how it grew out of Powered by the Apocalypse, but it's just different enough to be its own little thing now. And I really enjoy it. So strong endorsement from Chick. Mike, you want to tell us about uh, City of Mist next? Yeah, I definitely do. Uh, it's interesting that uh, we actually picked the three games which probably change the, the, most. the most. So that actually worked out really nicely because we're going to talk about uh, City of Mist a little bit, which is this cool game that uh, I actually just tried last week. It's pretty serendipitous. The uh, creator, Amit Moshe, uh, is actually in Boston for the next couple of weeks running a play test. And uh, I was able to get in on it. And uh, it's uh, kind of playtesting like an upcoming adventure path. So in City of Mist, you play Rifts. Awesome. Can I be a fire dragon or a magic dragon or an objectively the best dragon? Chig, you can be whatever kind of Rifts thing you want. You can be a glitter boy. It's a very, very modular system. Mm. But uh, jokes aside, this is not, you know, Kevin... Sambita's uh, masterpiece. This is a game where you play as these rifts, which are the breaks in the mist of the city, where a mythos of the past has awoken in a seemingly normal person. This kind of awakens them from their sleeping state. The characters enter a heroic uh, kind of urban fantasy setting filled with conspiracies, noir angst, and no shortage of evil to fight. So you're, you're a regular person, a rift who has this kind of story that was always inside of them, but has finally come to the forefront. Uh, they can be aspects of legendary characters, supernatural creatures, magical items, or even just like concepts and ideas. So, for example, for one of the uh, pre-generated playbook characters, it's Excalibur, who is a, uh, a woman whose mythos is that of magical weapons and the embodiment of justice. So, you know, actually kind of developed by this woman actually just finding like a magical bracelet up in her attic. But it has, uh, from her awakening, many aspects of like the Excalibur myth. Another character is Kitsune, uh, who is either a spirit from another world uh, trying to help the unfortunate or just a kid vigilante awakened 
with the uh, story of a fox spirit. Mm-hmm. And either way, they're a magical, badass ninja. The thing is that's really cool with this is you don't just have mythos, you also have logos, which is represents the character's um, kind of day-to-day aspect. So uh we like if we if we take say for example an idea you go with the hard-boiled detective that is the logos and then the mythos could be um an avenging angel or some uh demon or thor would be the mythos and i think the the character the characters can range in having the way they're built they have like four i want to say slots and either they either have correct three of one or one of the other, or two and two, or you know, you get the idea of a mix. Um, and he, and obviously that means you can go full mythos, and your character basically becomes an NPC, or you go full logos, and they become a sleeper again. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. And it's really interesting. Uh, it kind of gives you, as you mentioned, that that you know, choosing between the mythos and the logos. I was thinking about it a lot in the terms of uh, Iron Kingdom's role playing, where you get to take mm. two classes and basically stick them together. It gives you a lot of cool, fun, customizable options in that way. But I'll actually I'll get to character creation a little bit later because I just want to talk about the uh, uh, setting of the city yeah. a little bit more because everything is set in this city of mist. You know, it's a fictional setting uh, which utilizes a whole bunch of different tropes uh, to create a you know really living, breathing setting filled with the uh, sleepers and uh, rift NPCs. And you get tons of information uh, in the book about different types, uh, different parts of the city, uh, like the blue-collar residential neighborhoods, downtown, the industrial zone, uh, as well as you know a lot of like cool, important NPCs which you can just slot into your game uh, if you're ever, uh, you know, stuck for ideas or something like that. So in that way, uh, City Mist is really great as not only being a setting for this Power by the Apocalypse kind of game. Um, but it's like a, a complete experience. You have all the rules, you have all these characters that you can easily use, a number of you know basic case files and you know adventures that are uh, in the book. So it's a really complete product, which explains the uh, you know large page count of it. Moving on from that, you know, how does City Mist kind of modify the power of by the apocalypse system? Um, you know, I was told by the creator that it's a fairly dramatic d- departure from the uh, normal uh, PBTA, and I can kind of see that. Uh, it keeps the core system of 2d6 plus power as being your basic rolling mechanic. You know, 10 plus is a success, 8 or 9 is success with a cost, uh, 7 or lower is, you know, something bad happens. But rather than having individual, you know, playbooks for like character classes or something like that, which you use, every single character is basically their own uh, unique playbook, and they all have the same standard moves that they can use. Uh, which is a list of eight. Um, they could be things like investigating, sneaking around, hitting it with all you've got, or you know, going toe-to-toe against an opponent. And another kind of like interesting aspect of these like core player moves is how they, uh, they interact with the uh, other systems of the game. So if your character does an investigation, they can, for example, get clues, which are a way for the player to ask the GM direct questions about the mystery, but to try to like get more information to uh, carry the story along. Uh, they could also, you know, power up with juice or you know add a status track to their themselves or a target. Uh, now we haven't really talked about status tracks, so I'm not sure if these are present in other Powered by the Apocalypse games. No. So I'm free to jump in. Uh, if they are or are not. They're definitely not to the extent, I would say. So I would say Colt has status tracks like health, 
and with um, the uh, kind of the integrity track, you know, what I was mm. talking about. Those would be the only status tracks I would say that Colt has. Um, but but City of Mist really goes to town on this, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, it does. Yeah, um, City of Mist is really, really freeform. We'll kind of get into that. It'll, it'll become more uh, apparent as we go through. But um, status tracks are really neat. There's no set status tracks in this game. Um, you kind of just create them as you go. So, for example, uh, let's say you're in combat. You know, your character is fighting against uh, some sort of a villain. Um, you might go, uh, you know, toe-to-toe with them. Actually, we'll say hit them with all you've got, and that may give them a status, which might be something like clobbered. You just say, yeah, I'm clobbering them, and that is the uh, the status effect that they get. You know, if their status track is only tier one, very low, uh, that just means, just means they have minus one power on future rolls, or you get like a bonus uh, as the player, uh, as the character going up against them. Uh, but once they get up to tier five, let's say, that means they're incapacitated. Or if they get up to tier six, then they are, they're dead in that case. Mm. So that's kind of how you can, can handle combat, but the status can be anything in the game. So for example, if your character is investigating and then, then they fail or they succeed with a condition, they might get the surveilled status, uh, which means this actually lasts for multiple game sessions where they have, uh, maybe it's tier three, so they have minus three power doing further investigations, which uh, is is really uh, a big deal. And they'll have to, uh, of course, do some role-playing and some other additional roles to try to like shake that surveillance or something like that. So it's definitely a, a cool way to interact and gives you a lot of, like, as I mentioned, freeform options in the game. That sounds very cool. There's some other stuff it adds in as well, I, um, because obviously there's a, the whole element, like, you know, you are representing, like, supernatural kind of entities or godlike beings or, or so forth. And you can also, with, the pow- with your powers, because uh, obviously um, if you take, say, the keyword, I'm just going to flick through to character creation and just, like, I've got the whole book here, and it's freaking huge. So um, the new court, they bring out a new edition where they split it into two books. So there's the GM part and the player part, so it'll make it a bit more accessible. Um, but like, let's say I take, for example, um, something that's say, uh, let's say expression. There's an elemental or physical projection, fire arrows, thoughts, legendary strength. So you've got like a keyword that could be like burning whips or or um, solar flare or something like that. The power tags you can also not only use in a roll, but you can also burn them. So when you burn mm. them, that means you get like the the maximum effect of of using it. So it counts as a ten, and you get full control over the narrative of it. But you then don't get it for later in the game session until you do. I think you do like a montage scene to represent the character like resting or something. Yeah, or I think you have to have downtime to recover. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you can burn your keywords. So if you really need someone to do, you know, let's let's put it because this is my way. What I want to run for City of Mist, I want to run City of Mist as a neo noir, devil may cry uh, style game where you've got people uh, representing angels, demons, and other supernatural entities that fit with that. So you could burn a keyword, and that could represent like you know if we take devil may cry is dante going devil trigger on a certain ability i think that kind of encapsulates that kind of gameplay that you want to emulate yeah that definitely works um 
and yeah, actually, why don't we talk about the uh, the power tags and that sort of stuff? So, in character creation itself, <clears throat> uh, as Chris mentioned, you uh, pick a total of four mythos and logos traits, which are kind of just these broad umbrellas. Like uh, for mythos, it might be a cool supernatural aspect, like magical relic or magical expression. Um, I was playing as Baba Yaga, so I had her her giant uh, tree hut as one of my uh, mythos, and the other one was her mortar and pestle. Um, and then for logos, it's more mundane things. So, you know, being like a beat cop or being a librarian, that sort of thing. Um, and for each of these uh, mythos and logos, you pick, for a starting character, three power tags and assign those to them. And these are unique keywords assigned to describe how the power could be used. Uh, so, for example, the pregen character, Salamander, has a locus of city water worker. And this includes the power tags of knows every street, city waterways access, and city official. So it all kind of plays off of that, uh, you know, aspect of their career. So are these, are these things that you make up like aspects in fate, or do you choose the city worker logos and you choose from a list of possible city worker chig uh, chig you nailed it you nailed yeah. it and that's kind of the basic conclusion is that this is powered by the apocalypse with a heavy dose of fate going on that's really the vibe i got playing this so yeah you pick these different keywords these these power tags which are a lot like aspects in fate and use that to kind of develop the abilities of your character interesting yeah so let's say uh for example just to kind of display the mechanics so a salamander is trying to investigate uh do that kind of a player move to find the whereabouts of doc croc a were crocodile living in the sewers he'll uh, kind of check his sheet and add up the relevant power tags so i meant just mentions two which are really good which is nose every street and having waterway access and those are great but if you actually look further on his sheet, you can find a third tag, which is pretty relevant. Uh, under their logos of up-and-coming crime fighter, they have the power tag snooping around. So boom, that's three power tags right there. Uh, so that means you get, by choosing those three, you have three power to add to your roll. So you roll 2d6, add three, and then see how many clues you get, or if there was some kind of a complication or failure. Uh, City Miss is really interesting because you don't have any attributes or stats. You just have those power tags, and that's what you use to interact with the setting, uh, which I think is a really cool story-driven way to go at the game. Yeah, I like uh, yeah. that. That sounds fantastic. I need to yep. pick this book up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's very fun. And yeah, as you can see, because of this freeform nature of the statuses, of the power tags, and all of that, you get this really cool and creative character generation process. Uh, in the playtests we did, we actually, all four of the, uh, the players actually made their own characters right on the spot. So we had, uh, we had the Greek fates inhabiting a librarian. We had Hades boldly walking around as a crime lord. Mm. Uh, we had a knight of the round table, who I think was Galahad, uh, inhabiting a, uh, a washed-up cop. And I was uh, playing Baba Yaga, inhabiting a uh, a bag lady. So, um, bag Yaga. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, pretty much. My character was not well designed for a uh, a noir game. I wasn't like thinking that through when the the GM was like, "Yeah, it's gonna be like kind of a noir game, you know, investigation, all that." And I was like, 
I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a retired person. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other thing is, um, you, you, there's some options in the game. So there's, I, I don't, I can't remember what uh, attention and crack do, but they're like ways of you can lose your mythos, or you can lose a logos. Um, and as you go up these ranks of attention or crack, then it means it falls away, and then you replace it with either with with whichever direction you've gone with a new mythos or a new logos. Uh, so that's how your character kind of grows uh, in other ways. And then there's also um, you can play the game using something called grit. So uh, the tracking cards look a bit weird, okay? Because they're not just one, two, three, four, five, six, because that's the maximum mm-hmm. you can have as a modifier to it. There's other little tick boxes in there. And that's because if you want to have a bit more granularity, you can use something called grit. So if you use power tags, say you've got, say, um five power tags but you're using the grit system it means you tick off box one you tick off box two you tick off the box that sits between two and three then you pick off three and then you pick off the next one which is the box just after three but it doesn't have a number associated with it so you're still only getting a plus three bonus or a minus three bonus depending on what uh, you know penalty depending on what the the tag is doing so you can actually it adds some more granularity to it without changing how the die system operates if that makes sense mm-hmm. so you can make the game feel a lot harder if you want to have a bit more gritty feeling so people aren't overwhelming things or it's very useful if you want to re once the characters have um have have gained so much experience you want to re to rescale the game a little bit so that it still feels like a challenge yeah yeah that's the uh, interesting thing i noticed uh just kind of flipping through the uh the pdf of this game you know the actual basic system and basic setting it's only about 200 pages of this 500 page book so a lot of it is like additional rules and options to kind of expand the game uh, and uh also just like the gm advice gm section uh, and that sort of thing. Yeah, the GM advice actually is huge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, the thing I just want to like uh, get across with this uh, game, as I've been kind of realizing, is that while it is a big book and there's there's a lot of rules in there, the actual core system and core experience is very accessible and simple. And I think it's actually a great thing that they they split up into those two books um, yeah. with the the new set. So yeah, it's 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 a really solid uh, solid game. And uh, yeah, I might actually be playing it again this week. Oh, that's that's it. So um, I guess final thoughts. Uh, James, you've been listening on us talk through these games. Have you got any other thoughts or uh, ideas that these kind of inspire in you? Well, I'm. Uh, <laughs> I've already. Uh, I've already had a look at a couple of things online whilst we've been talking. Um, seeing where I can uh, pick up some of it. <laughs> some of these systems um i really like the sound of blades in the dark um i think the the way that my group plays it sounds like that might be quite an interesting fit for them so i'm probably going to take a look at the pdf for that excellent again it is probably my favorite game at the moment so strong strong recommend nice all right, awesome. So yeah, that was a uh, pretty epic episode where we just discussed and covered like 12 game systems all in one go. <laughs> so yeah. uh, 
yeah, Powered by the Apocalypse is uh, is really rad. And uh, if anyone wants us to uh, talk about any of these systems or settings in a little bit more detail, maybe cover some more of Colt's Divinity Lost in the future, definitely let us know. And there's uh, a lot of ways to uh, get in contact with us. Uh, you can uh, send us an email over at uh, darkerdaysradio at gmail.com. You can uh, go on Facebook, facebook.com slash darkerdaysradio. We're on Twitter at darkerdaysradio. And uh, we also have our Discord, which has a link in the show notes. Uh, Chris, is there any anything else I'm missing uh, for our social media presence? Uh, yeah, we've got Discord, we've got an Instagram, there's the blog. Uh, yeah, all these links will be in the show notes. As I've said, hop over to Full Metal RPG and Red Moon Roleplaying for many of these things. Um, our friends at Modifius are distributors for both Cult and uh, City of Mist. So you know, uh, if you go, if you're looking for hard copies, um, they're your people. Uh, yeah, I think we've covered everything. Um, other than to reiterate, you know, get in contact with us uh, regarding our our search for new diverse voices to add to Darker Days Radio because, you know, we we only represent a, a, a tiny slither of, of attitudes and uh, opinions on gaming and we would like to diversify that voice on horror, cyberpunk and post-apocalyptic gaming and miniatures gaming and board gaming and computer games because obviously we are interested in all those things as well. Mm-hmm. Um Obviously, there's the YouTube. I will mostly be Twitch streaming, playing some... Ooh, what am I playing? Um, blah, 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 uh, Blackstone Fortress, because that's cool. Um, so that's a 40k Warhammer Quest game. So I will try and stream some of that. But that is it from my end that I can think of. Um, and there will be more details of demo events coming up soon. Uh, and other things will we'll work out with people and partners on things. Nice. All right, uh, Chig, Chris, James, thank you very much uh, for coming on board for another awesome episode. Really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. It's been a good one. Thanks for listening. Yep. To all the listeners out there, take it easy and have a good night. This has been an episode of Darker Days Radio. Special thanks to Occam's Laser for the intro, outro, and new bumper music from their hit album, Nine Circles. Check out the rest of their work at occamslaser.bandcamp.com.